really have to be poor to turn you on? That's not fair. Welcome to Rags to Bitches, a Dynasty Watch Party podcast. Kick back as we experience every slap, steely glare, and cruel barb from the 1981 primetime soap opera. With discussions, games, and so much more, there's plenty of campy fun as we party our way through the big emotions and even bigger hair in the one, the only, Dynasty. Dynasty. I'm AG. And I'm Amy. And let's dive right into this. So, this episode is Season 1, Episode 2, Oil Part 2. Um, Because we're still on the pilot. It obviously is the same as before. It aired on the uh, 12th of January, 1981, written by Richard and Esther Shapiro, directed by Ralph Sineski, and it obviously rated um, 12th because it's the same night. Nothing new in the stats there, but I thought we would include these stats because it'll be interesting to see, like, patterns that emerge when it's a different writer or a different director or you know when the ratings dip and like just just to see how that has shaped the show and and the different writing styles as well yeah absolutely um because i've already noticed that some people and we'll get to that soon are prone to the the face zoom in which i'm all (laughs) here for so this episode kind of shifts the focus a little um that it starts up with matthew picking up his daughter and it's another interesting scene because it doesn't just spell it out for us no it doesn't and the ride that this episode takes us on um of all three of the pilot this is actually my favorite episode it was it was a pretty good one i did enjoy it there's a lot of stuff to talk about um and i think one of the things that this plot line did particularly well is for a primetime soap opera for it to deal with mental illness in the way that it did was really interesting. Now, from what I understand, that is dropped later on in, in favor of a, a less than nuanced um, Claudia, but <laughs> I thought it was an interesting way to deal with it in a soap opera. Well, what I thought was really interesting, too, is that it showed not only Matthew's perspective and and this being his wife and him having to balance between his wife and his daughter, or it showing Claudia's perspective as her being the one who's ill. But the thing that really got me is them showing uh, Nancy's perspective and the difficulty she had in um, sort of, uh, I guess, accepting her mother and feeling like she needed to walk on eggshells. Uh, the way that it presented itself, you know, like something really bad happened previously for this dynamic to be this way. And one of the things that I wrote down that I thought was very impressive was uh, something that Matthew said to Nancy and he says, it's a hospital. She says, it's a hospital for crazy people. And he says, you're old enough to understand we don't use words like crazy people. And I thought that was pretty interesting, particularly for 1981. Yeah, well, like for that time, that's that's a pretty bold statement. The show d- tackles things like this a lot. Um, with this episode too, class plays such a huge role as well. And, you know, I fully expect like the campy, vampy, trashy in all the good ways dynasty 
but I wasn't expecting um, them to take on issues the way that they did. And I think that's super impressive. Well, I think one of the great things that they've done in this first season is that they've taken on issues, but, and I don't want to be that guy that's like, you know, crapping all over every new show because there are some great new shows that have come out lately, like Hacks and Mayor of Easttown and like all these shows that are, that are phenomenal shows. So this isn't a blanket statement. I mean, I understand that there is nuance to this, but a lot of more modern shows tackle these issues, but just in such a heavy handed way. Whereas this is done with a lot more thought to the multiple faces of these issues. It's not just focusing on one person. What I think that a lot of shows do now is they make the issue and then put the show around it instead of making the issue part of the show. And so the way that they've been able to tackle some of these very different things in this show and still keep it engaging, but make you stop and think for a second and be like, yeah, like why why do I say that? Or why do I think that I think is, I think it's tremendous at any time, but I remember the eighties. I was a little girl in the eighties. I remember how difficult some things were. And so for that time, particularly, I think it's astounding. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's done really well. And that's the thing, like obviously for that time, but even as I've said, by today's standards, considering it's a soap opera as well, um, by today's standards, I think the writing is exceptional. Oh, I do too. And, um, you know, it, you and I have had this conversation before about TV shows lecturing on issues rather than telling the story of the issue. And this really pointed out and made me realize um, how much that is done today and how it wasn't always done that way. And I wish that more shows would take that approach. Yeah, and because it's it's infinitely more interesting. Like as you say, if you just said, "Oh, well, you know, Claudia suffers from from mental health issues, um, and that's what we're going to focus on." I mean, that's interesting enough, but it's not as interesting as okay. But how does that affect the people around her too? And how does that dynamic change their life at home? Like that stuff is way more interesting than just focusing on the issue itself. Oh, absolutely. And it tells a fuller story. And it's, it's also not, it's without judgment too. So like, you know, Matthew can have his moments or, or um, the daughter that I'm now having a mental blank at her name. Nancy. Nancy. She can say the word crazy or something. And it's not this like, how dare you? Cause it's like in that scenario, you know, people, are flawed. They're going to say things that maybe aren't the right thing to say. And it's, it's not said with the same judgment of a lot of modern storytelling has. No, it's not. And um, I particularly enjoyed, I enjoyed the wrong word for when I'm, I'm about to say what it's about, but seeing how Nancy interacted with her mother and, and her mother just wanting to be treated uh, quote unquote normal and Nancy like doing the teenage thing where she maybe not be listening or maybe it takes her an hour to do something that you asked and watching how that sort of escalated to them both in tears but 
the, the, the tears are, are there out of frustration and, and of longing and wanting to be connected and wanting to be close. They're not tears out of resentment or anger. And I, that really resonated with me. So that then brings us to Walter Langsham, which can we just take a moment to acknowledge that in this um, series where, you know, we know what it's going to become, but at the moment uh, the women's hair is fairly flat. I mean, except for Crystal's blowout, the women's hair is fairly flat and fairly, fairly normal, fairly every day. Walter Langsham's hair is amazing. <laughs> like, is that a wig? I think it's a wig. <laughs> I, I like good old Walter. He uh, has some vigor and vim to him. And I appreciate that. He is like the symbolic of the symbolism of down with the man and the man being Carrington, of course. And he uh, knows what he wants and he's going to do what he can to get it. And I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, no, I, I do enjoy him as a character, but every time I see him, just like that hair, it's, it's, it's a character in and of itself. <laughs> and so after this fight with Crystal, Blake attempts what is a romantic gesture, but to me came off kind of comedic. Um, and I don't know if this did this for you, but it did for me. So when Blake is apologizing, he, he sends, like he, he basically just buys out an entire florist and sends it to Crystal. And initially I was sitting there thinking, who organized this wedding? Like, I thought they were flowers for the wedding. And I was like, but none of them match. Like, it didn't make any <laughs> sense. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, he's, he's apologizing. But then it kept going. Like, it was really long in them bringing in the flowers. And it was yeah. almost like I was waiting for it to take a comedic turn. Like, she can't, you know, she's drowning in this, like, sea of flowers. So I don't know if it rang that way for you, but it, it almost came off like a comedy skit because it ran so long. Yeah, I wasn't so impressed with that part. I think um, that really made me roll my eyes. And I don't know, I lost a little bit of respect for Crystal this episode, I got to say. She can be bought with an entire florist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she has a price and her price is flowers. Lots of them. Well, the, <laughs> the, the tip off, the tipping point of, of where she can be bought is a, a dog made out of flowers. <laughs> I think that was like a big thing in like the eighties and nineties to have. Oh like yeah, you can still get them animals. today. Yeah, don't ask me how I know, but you can get them today. <laughs> My favorite go. thing through all of this, though, is when Blake says to her, "Do I need to be poor to turn you on?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, here we go, <laughs> here we go, and people." That that kind of leads to the the next part also my feelings on that scene as well. Um, so he takes her out to a cheap dinner. So Blake in his infinite dick measuring competition decides that he will take her out for a Chinese meal that's under $20, but he's going to fly to San Francisco to do it. And she's kind of impressed by it. And I'm like, wow, you seem like a douchebag. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know. I, I have a complicated relationship with Blake. I do. I do. And, and as I say, the thing that humanizes him happens at the end of this episode. And I think it's, it's really interesting that that's the thing that humanizes him. Um, but we'll get to that too. But um, yeah, I've just written 
$20 Chinese meal, San Francisco douchebag vibes. <laughs> so that that pretty much sums it up. Pretty much, yeah. Like it's clear that she's uncomfortable with this newfound wealth, which is understandable, but then she kind of leans into it. But he just feels like in these scenes, I don't know if he's meant to come off as suave or like, you know, the Prince Charming, but he really feels like he's manipulative. He's very manipulative, man. He, yeah. Because I know he's manipulative in business, but I don't know if he's intended to be manipulative on a romantic level. I mean, I don't know if that's going to come up later where she's going to be like, stop treating me like a business merger or something like that. But, you know, he, he comes across as very manipulative and I just don't know if that's the intention. I don't know. I feel like Crystal in some ways is a prize to him and that's it. Um, and it's another way for him to uh, puff out his chest because you have, you know, nice looking Matthew who is rugged and out there adventuring and everything who she loved. And then you have Blake. And I think that it is he is someone who likes power and he is someone that likes control and he is someone that likes people to know that he has both of those things. And so I think that's a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so then we finally get to the wedding. So it's taken like an hour and something, but it we're, we're at the wedding now. Um, and then there's a weird scene that is like, it's a good scene, but it's just something weird happens in it. And so that's when Fallon steals the cake topper. <laughs> I got to say, before we even talk about the cake topper, those little animal foods that were at the wedding, like, no, like those scared me. Oh, when they make like the faces out of the oranges yes, and stuff like yes. that. <laughs> they're kind of weird. Who makes a cake topper out of chocolate? <laughs> like, was that a thing in the 80s? But like, either that or she's just eating plastic. <laughs> You know, candle. There's less calories in plastic. Um, well, that because back to the food though, the food with the faces. Like, I feel like I go out of my way to not eat food with a face on it. Like, you know, I want to eat pork or or bacon. I don't want to eat a pig's head, like, or a fish's <laughs> head. Like, I don't, I don't want to actively go out of my way to make a face in in the food that I eat. Like, that's just weird. Um, Here, let me make a puppy out of fruit for you. And now, now eat, eat it. it. <laughs> I mean, we have we have the animal flowers. We have the animal food. My God. It's a lot. But so Crystal and Fallon have this scene. And I mean, the thing, the thing that kind of like, it was so dramatic, it made me laugh, was when the man realized that it was gone. Yes. <laughs> <gasps> the, the soap opera gasp. Look. And- Baker! And he, didn't he like scream or something? Baker! But anyway, she's having this conversation with, with Fallon and at no point does she turn around and say, is that my cake topper that you're eating? <laughs> <laughs> like no one seems to give a shit. And I'm like, I probably would have been like, um, is that the top of my wedding cake? So there's obviously that conversation, um, which my favorite part of that was the eating of the um, <laughs> cake topper. <laughs> but then we get to the accident at the drilling site, or is it an accident? 
So, I mean, clearly it's not an accident. Did he do this in hopes of killing his rival? Because in the last episode, we talked about a plane being shot down over Kansas. Or did he do this (laughs) to tamper with someone else trying to get oil? Or did he try two birds, one stone? Two birds, one stone, definitely. I think, though, if I was looking at the character himself, I think he would want the money and power and the death would just be the icing on the cake that has no topper because Felon ate it. (laughs) Obviously, there's a little bit more to this, but basically um, Lancashire gets a gun and his fabulous hair and he loads himself up into the car to go and shoot Blake Carrington on his wedding day, which is a solid plan. Oh, definitely. There is a 100% chance that's going to go well. There's not going to be any witnesses at all. No. And, and yeah, it's not, there's not going to be high security or anything. Like it's going to go really well. Oh, oh, Walter. Oh, Walter. What are you thinking? I feel like that needs to be a catchphrase now. Oh, Walter. <laughs> then we get to a scene where Andy, the, cause what is, is he like security or a, he's just the right hand man or. He he's, he's uh didn't uh, Fallon call him her father's concierge. Oh yeah, that's right. He's like, the we don't, we don't appreciate your particular was, sense of humor. I thought that was Italian for attorney. <laughs> I love it. They obviously talk about signing a premarital property agreement, which I'm assuming will come up again. I mean, that's got to be foreshadowing for something else. It has um, to be. But I think it was good because that with a few other things as well has excluded the possibility that crystal's a gold digger yeah well and it gives her her ammunition against felon who pretty much believes she's a gold digger or that she's just right. some prize to be won well here's the thing with crystal that confuses me or if not confuse it complicates things for me on one hand, she's very proud of her humble background and her humble beginnings, and she's not going to change, and she's going to have her friends up at the mansion and everything. And on the other hand, she's like, I'm going to wear this fur coat, and I'm going to wear this jewelry, and I'm going to accept these flowers. And so it's like she, she kind of wants to be both things. And, I mean, girlfriend, you need to decide, you know? You need to decide. We'd probably all do that. We'd, like, if... If you won the lotto, you'd probably be like, oh, just you'd still have that training in your mind of not like spending money ridiculously and stuff like that. But then you'd also be like, hell yeah. And then you'd, you'd, you'd have moments where you'd you'd sort of the pendulum would swing to like you'd be all in and you'd be like, oh, this isn't right. And then you'd think that you would eventually find your your rhythm. So it's probably accurate that you would yeah. jump from place to place. I don't know. I'm pretty cheap. Like I've thought about that. If I were to win a million dollars, what would I do with it? And I would buy a very, very inexpensive home on a very small piece of land away from people so that I don't have to see people. And I would bank the rest because then I can just like live a retired life. But I don't know. I guess maybe I would be tempted to buy like a thousand dollar copy of the encyclopedia of dune or something i don't know but yeah, yeah i guess well, that's, well, that's i guess that's right. the thing isn't it that it's like I'd, I'd be the same i'd be money is no object for stuff that i want but right i wouldn't be going out to buy a palatial dynasty mansion 
I mean, you don't want a ballroom? No. Now it's Sears. I'm going to build a house now that's just a normal, you know, residential house and it's going to have a ballroom in it. <laughs> now, now instead of fancy people having ballrooms, they make theaters. That's, that's the new thing. Yeah, which is much better than a ballroom. Then we finally get to the reason that there is this rift between Stephen and his father. And this is probably some of the best writing that I've seen so far on this show. I have to say, I like some of the things that they were bringing up in this whole argument, right? Where, um, you know, Stephen's telling him, you know, you're selling this country out and talking about the oil fields and making other people billionaires and opening up for the war. And then he talks about like corn and ethanol and, and wanting to get into that. And they have the screaming match and like that's 1981. And they're talking about that. Like, I'm telling you, there's so much in this show that was so ahead of its time. Well, yeah. And then as, as you say, like there's so much of it that can still transfer to today's standards. I mean, maybe not the gay thing as much like th- there's been a lot of progress in that sense that like that conversation feels like it's very 1980s but a lot of the other stuff it's still just as valid as it was right back then i mean i i have written in my notes blake at least knows he's a capitalist piece of (laughs) (laughs) this is the scene that i feel humanizes him because up until this point he's come across as a rich entitled douchebag um, that just right. thinks he owns everything. And I mean, that is who he is. But to me, the thing that that sort of humanized him was this scene where he's talking to Stephen about his, as he calls it, faggotry, which I love that they use that word because I'm like, that is exactly the kind of word that someone like that would have used. Definitely. So it's not shying away from it. And I'm like, I love that about it. But the, the reason why it humanized him is not because he's like, you're my son and I love you and it's all happy and lovely. He's, he tries to have his own compassionate perspective and as misguided, as intolerant as it is, for someone of his socioeconomic status in 1981, that was probably relatively liberal. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and that's one of the things that I really liked about this scene too, is that it showed how different Steven is from his whole family, going from his beliefs to who he is, to his sexuality. And you see Blake trying to reach out, but it's like, just the moment they're about to make contact, Blake becomes an asshole again. It's, it's almost like he realized he was being vulnerable and he's like pushed him away. Right. You got to, you know, got to be the tough guy. Yeah, that's right. And, be and, man. and that's the thing too, that like his solution, though it's not healthy, you know, when we look at it in 2021 standards, his solution of, you know, oh, I can, I can forgive a bit of sexual experimentation, you know, just don't bring it home and that stuff like that would, that would have been seen, especially as I say, in that socioeconomic status, that would have been seen as quite the, the liberal standpoint like it would have been cutting him off would have been probably the more standard thing to do right I, I I agree with that and I think Blake is trying but I think that 
some of the hurt for him isn't just that his son is gay. Uh, and for a man like that, that is a hurt. Um, but I think it's because Stephen didn't tell him and he found out on his own in a different way, probably having someone follow him or something. And I think that that part stung him as more. And that becomes like a vicious cycle because it's like he doesn't tell him stuff, which then causes him to feel this rift between them even further. But then he goes out and does stuff that makes the rift divide even further. Right, exactly. It's it's this perpetual cycle. And one of them needs to throw a pebble into the machine and make it stop. But then after that, so that was one of the final scenes of part two. And then we cut to the longest pan shot in television history. <laughs> going over that garden um, to Crystal staring out the window. And then it freeze frames to, to be continued, which I don't think it did in your version because you said yours was the full three-part yeah. pilot. So yeah. you didn't get the to be continued. No, I didn't. Because see, it was really weird because episode one didn't have a to be continued. It was just played as part one and two on my DVD set. And then part three had its own episode, but then you get the whole thing. And I'm like, it just, it seems weird, but. It is weird. Then again, that's what happens when you've got a three-part pilot episode. <laughs> from like 40 years ago. <laughs> from 40 years ago, which is crazy. Um, oh God, I just like realized. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just like, that's crazy. Cause like, I can think like, I, I was not alive when this aired, but I can think back to people watching this show and to think that it's 40 years old just scares me. <laughs> like I think I'm about ready to have an existential crisis right now about aging. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the new segment now. <laughs> Amy's existential crisis. <laughs> uh, oh dear. And that's it. So yeah, to be continued. So I guess now we're ready for, to, to distract us from our existential crisis, we're ready <laughs> for Amy Presents The More You Know. As with the last episode, I find one element of the episode and I go down a rabbit hole because going down rabbit holes is what I like to do. And since it took me by surprise that in January 1981, we were getting a show that had a gay character that appeared regularly on television, I decided to look into when um, that happened in American television. And I was surprised to find out that in 1971, All in the Family, which is best known for the main character, racist Archie Bunker, was the first show to feature a gay character and on American television. And the character uh, was one and done. It was just one episode. It was um, one of his former friends who was a former football player. Um, but four years later, they did introduce a reoccurring trans character. Uh, the first reality show in the whole, like, of this, it wasn't the real world like everyone wants to think. It was called An American Family. And it was on PBS and it aired in 1971. And it featured the first reoccurring openly gay, quote unquote, character, Lance Loud. Um, the show was shot documentary style and showed the day-to-day -day life of an average American family. And he was out and he was open and he was proud and he didn't hide it from the cameras. Then in 1977, Billy Crystal's character in Soap, Jody Dallas, was the first primetime gay father on network television in America. And then came our Stephen Carrington, 
Harrington in 1981. Uh, there were shows that came after that had like one episode here or there featuring an LBGTQ plus character. A lot of those episodes were framed around the AIDS crisis in the eighties. Um, but yeah, I thought that those were very interesting things. No, I think that's really interesting. And it's, it would be interesting to go back and look at those episodes too, because the thing, cause Stephen Carrington is obviously one of the first representations of, of gay men. Um, but it'd be interesting to see like these previous ones, monumental though they are, that they were the first on TV, how many of them were like, hello, like, you know, right. The, the over the top, which there are, I'm not even opposed to those stereotypes because those people do exist. But the thing with Stephen Carrington is he's obviously got more layers. Like he has an effeminate side, but he also has the masculine violent side and like there's multiple levels to him. Right. Well, in the episode, when I was re researching this in the episode from all in the family, um, the thing was, was that Archie Bunker was sort of at a place where he'd had to confront his own prejudice and stereotypes because here's his friend and this is what it is. And it was a teaching moment for him. Um, and I think it's funny that it was Archie Bunker because he is probably listed as the, the, the most racist character on television in America ever in a fictional show that isn't like an actual like white nationalist or something. And so I think it was very interesting that like, that was like one of their first episodes and that's how they framed it all. Well, I know speaking of gays in the media, I do know that Al Corley, who plays Stephen, doesn't play him for the entirety of it because he got sick of um, Stephen's bisexuality. Spoilers. Oh, spoilers. From what I understand, he, he was sick of that, not from the perspective of like, you know, bi erasure or anything that people would talk about like that, but it's, it's just, he sort of figured that the, the studios were intervening there again. So that'll be another thing to watch um, as we're watching through this and, and see how much of it is the character's legitimate sexuality and how much of it is studios being too scared to actually put something out because they're worried about the reaction. Right. Right. I think it will be very interesting to follow this journey um, in that respect and that aspect. And I love the layers that this has given Steven as a character and the, fi the family dynamic too. It's not one note. Um, everyone has varying responses to his sexuality. So like some characters seem to accept it and some characters are like Blake are obviously pretty against it. And then there's Crystal, Crystal, who I just, I don't even think she knows what day it is. I don't know if she knows <laughs> what's going on. So she's just too busy, like staring off into the distance as cameras pan into her face. And feeling left out. Yeah. Which is probably fair. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely is. On that note, then, um, I guess we can move on to our fun and games section with Screw, Marry, Kill Dynasty Edition. Oh, goodness. And so <laughs> uh, we're going to give each other three different characters. And obviously, we have to decide who to screw, marry, and kill. Your three characters are 
Crystal, Fallon, and Blake. Uh, Blake is getting murdered. That's yep. just... I love how you just went straight to kill. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I could handle Crystal on a daily basis for the rest of my life. So I guess I marry Fallon and I screw Crystal and I murder the... F- I'm, I'm murder. <laughs> I murder the F out of Blake. Well, but then the thing is, don't you want to marry him and get get a room full of flowers? N- n- no, because they're going to look like dogs and I'm a cat person. And a Chinese meal from San Francisco <laughs> under $20. I, I mean, if he flew down cheese curds from Wisconsin to where I live, that might be tempting, actually. He might but... go from, from kill to screw. <laughs> <laughs> No, still no. (laughs) (laughs) Not happening. No. Okay, so I have three people for you. Okay. And it is Crystal, Claudia, and Fallon. Oh, okay. So I reckon I'm going to go with screw. This is a tough one. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna go with probably the same as you. I'm probably gonna go with Screw Crystal, Marry Fallon, and the third one was Claudia, wasn't it? Yeah, kill Claudia. I just don't know if I can handle her, her <laughs> stuff. <laughs> soap opera gasp, her soap dun, opera dun, drama. <laughs> oh no, sorry, I'll have to add that one in, won't I? so yeah i killed claudia and what are you gonna do about it (laughs) it was just a fever dream (laughs) yeah that's right it was all a dream um (laughs) so i'll give you one more round jeff matthew or doris oh god (laughs) i will marry matthew I will screw Jeff and I will murder AF Doris. I mean, we had to know that Doris was going to be a kill. Like no one's, no one's marrying Doris. That's why she's as bitter as she is and and constantly (laughs) judging people. (laughs) Oh, oh, Doris. Oh, Doris. Who invited you? So I have one for you. A lot. One last one. Yep. So Michael, the chauffeur. Yep. Michael or Walter with the awesome hair or Matthew, Matthew. I'm sorry. That's right. I was like, I was like, hang on. Is that, are there two Michaels? See, it's that, it's that existential thing. It's just, it's, it's distracting me. It's just got you shook. Um, so, all right. So Michael, Matthew and Walter. Yes. Well, I think I got to marry Walter for that hair. Um, I just, that, that just put a smile on my face every day. That and hair. his big gun. <laughs> his big gun. <laughs> Maybe I should screw him. Um, then I think I'd go screw Michael. Cause this fella makes him look like a good time. And then keep, <laughs> keep Matthew around, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why. No, I have you'll, no you'll reason. Have some... He's just the last option. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there you go. That's that's that. So 
Tune back in for the next episode, Oil Part 3, where we will finally see Crystal married after 83 years. <laughs> um, she'll finally be married um, at the end of this pilot. Uh, so stick around for that episode. Um, and that's it. So we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. What are your thoughts on the series so far? Let us know by leaving us an audio message at anchor.fm forward slash rags to bitches. You can also reach out to us on our social media with all the links below. We can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, keep it classy and keep the party going.